Hi there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Laura Wasser. Welcome to All's Fair. I'm Johnny Rains, and we're glad you're joining us today. As a family law attorney, I'm uniquely positioned to witness all of the things that lead to the end of a marriage. But believe it or not, I'm quite interested in what, if anything, can sustain a relationship. And when we broadened the name and the brand of this podcast, we decided we were going to talk a little bit more about what makes relationships work. Absolutely. So I came across this article in The Atlantic the other day, and it's called What I Learned About Equal Partnership by Studying Dual Income Couples. Hmm. And I sent it to Johnny because it was a good title, but I don't like to read articles, so I asked him to do it. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> um, it's also on the It's Over Easy blog. And in the article, the author, Jennifer Petrilieri, says uh, that while men think they split housework equally with women, women ultimately do more. She goes on to say a large piece of the discrepancy in estimates stems from partners simply not knowing what the other one does. So as they say in Latin, ignoratia jurus non excusat, which means ignorance is no excuse. God bless you. I say that more than you would imagine. <laughs> um, and I today's guest is here to school us in some of that, not in ignorance, but in really Knowledge. how... Couples can share responsibilities in the home and that that will so lubricate the relationship. And even I have talked about some of this in the past, but I wanted to delve into it a little bit more early this year. So she is the New York Times bestselling author anointed by Reese Witherspoon's media company, Hello Sunshine, as the Marie Kondo of relationships. We've spoken on panels together and she's one of the many parents and spouses who are part of our community at It's Over Easy. And most importantly, she's the author of Fair Play, a must read for anyone living together in a long term relationship. Welcome to All's Fair, my friend Eve Rodsky. Thanks for having me. Happy of New Year. Happy Welcome New Year. to you. So tell us a little bit about you, Eve. I know, but we probably should open this up to people listening as well. First, I just want to say thank you, Laura, because you were uh, one of the first people to bring me on a panel. So I was saying to Johnny on the way up that it was really wonderful that you were willing to invest early in these ideas. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So I'm trying to cut down on my workload before I retire. <laughs> I figure if we can keep people married. It'd be yes. awesome. Yes. <laughs> Let's keep you. This is definitely a pro-marriage book for sure. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you. You were raised by a single mom yes. on the East Coast. Yes. I was raised in Alphabet City um, before that was a cool place to live on uh, the early 80s. Um, and yeah, I... I like to say that I was born to to write fair play because um, I, early on I saw what it looked like to not have an equal partnership, not to have a partnership at all, actually. Um, my father left when my brother was zero and she was still <laughs> pregnant with him. I was three. And early on, I just, around seven or eight, um, I started to see how hard it was, started to recognize how hard it was for my mother doing everything on her own. Mm -hmm. Eviction notices coming under the door when she was working late and I would just sort of sit up waiting for her with the blue paper saying, you know, we're going to be, you know, we have not have a place to live. And then I started to notice the difference between late utility bills and regular utility bills. Right. So it had a shut off notice on it. 
I would hand it to her, you know. Right. That was sort of our That's upbringing. Yeah. Priority. I would like to also yes. note for those listening that Eve has been talking now for about three minutes and she has not yet mentioned that she has a JD from Harvard, which right. I think is impressive. <laughs> if you can get I'll somebody say. talking that long about themselves <laughs> and they haven't mentioned that when they went to Harvard, that's I huge. will say it's worse when you when someone asks you where you went to school and you say Boston. Right. Because then they <laughs> have to drag totally it out. It's totally worse. It's yes. worse. It's so pretentious. Just say Harvard. <laughs> Okay, so obviously you you dragged yourself out of Alphabet City, I out did. of the late notices and eviction notices. You went to Harvard Law School. Did you ever practice law? I did. I practiced in M&A, and then um, my day job actually is for 10 years has been a mediator. Okay. Actually, not in your type of mediation, right. but in uh, HBO succession land. Got Have it. anybody's ever seen that? Yes. I work for a very wealthy um families and how they give away their uh, their money and their family businesses. Got it. All right. And when did you get married? Well, I got married uh, in 2005. And I, I, I honestly, I sought out my equal partner and even my equal astrological match. He's March 10th. I'm November 10th. I wanted to marry Pisces. I found what this I thought was This is what they teach the you at Harvard Law, <laughs> by the way, guys. That's the, the, the whole it's, chart it's all to about figure out your, your love life. Yes. It's just, I needed a Pisces. I'm a Scorpio. I wanted that water balance. Um, but ultimately, really, I was looking for that equal partner, someone who spoke, you know, walked the walk, talked the talk. And I married that equal partner. That's the thing. Seth was my equal partner. We were killing it in life and business. You know, he I marked up his operating agreements when I was still practicing mm-hmm. law, um, saved him a lot of free legal advice um, as he grew his his business. And he, he would stay up all night questioning me for an interview. I remember the night before I got my dream job in philanthropy at J.P. Morgan. It was perfect until we had kids. <laughs> okay. So then, okay. So you married in 2005. You had your first kid in? Uh, 2008. And then your second kid in? 2011. That's and, when it all went to shit. Okay. So just tell <laughs> tell us a little bit, because I'm, I'm sure there's people now in their cars or in their couches, like nodding their heads, like, oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's how it happens. Yeah. They don't really tell you this in law school or anywhere else. Actually, there's no manual for this, but what, what happened in 2011, um, and actually this sort of mirrors the t- statistic in your world, right? Where- the new statistic out was that 30% of marriages end over the uh, unfairness where people are attributing it to the unfairness of domestic labor alone, similar right. to your article that you just pointed out. Right. Um, and that, that you know, I say cut to two kids later, um, my equal partner um, sends me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. That was the end of my marriage, what? basically. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And she was driving. She yeah, pulled you can over. Yeah, picture the scene. And she just picture scene. crying on the side of the picture road. Picture the freaking scene. Thank God. Thank you, Seth. I will say thank you for sending me that text because maybe I would not have gone down this uh, decade-long quest <laughs> to find domestic rebalance. But that day, you can picture the scene. I had a breast pump and a diaper bag on my passenger seat. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return. I just had to have my son, Ben. Uh, and you, God forbid, you know, those store policies are like five days. <laughs> right, you know? right. <laughs> so you don't want to lose that money, you know. So I had all the, the gifts for a newborn baby to return the backseat. I had a client contract on my lap. I still remember this. It's like burned in my brain. A client contract in my lap with a pen that was sort of stabbing me in the vagina <laughs> as I was trying to mark this cl- contract. And, and you're driving. Yeah, I'm driving. Yeah, right, right. Okay. And then, you know, bad, you know, probably bad me. I'm sort of checking. Texting. Yeah, texting. Yeah, texting. Yeah, no. All, you know, all the new pair, you know, the terrible new mom fog behaviors after my second son. Pen stabbing me in the vagina, texting on my phone. And then I see this text from Seth and... In the midst of this case, oh, and by the way, I'm going to pick up my older son Zach at the time. I'm not just driving aimlessly. I'm going. I'm racing to pick up my older son Zach at his toddler transition program, which in America, because we really value working mothers, 
or and fathers lasts about like 10 minutes. Right. I was going to yeah. say it was 30 seconds long. It's yeah. 30 seconds long and you're supposed to stay out on campus right. for 20 of those seconds. <laughs> so I'm racing back to get him. And I just said, you know, I'm going to be late to pick up Zach, but I didn't want to get into an accident. And I just, I lost it. I just started losing it in the car, just hysterically crying, thinking, you know, maybe this is the end of my marriage, you know? And I kept thinking, Jesus, my marriage was supposed to end with my affair with an NFL <laughs> tight end. And I love and I'm so not there right now. I have exactly. a pen in my vagina. My boobs are my leaking. Vagina. My boobs are leaking. I'm 100 pounds overweight. I gave birth at 200 pounds or not 100. I mean, I'm like not 70 pounds overweight, whatever it was for my body. Just a mess. Um, and that was that was the beginning of what I thought was the end. But actually what it became was a quest. It became a quest to understand what was happening to me. And back to what I just said to you, this should not have happened to me. Not only am I single, I came out of that single mother household where I told you, Laura, that I vowed that that was not going to be me. And then not only on top of that, but back to what you just said, I'm a Harvard, I'll bring up that word. I'm a Harvard trained attorney. I'm trained to use my voice. Right. So I kept thinking if I'm trained to use my voice and I came out of single parent household where I vowed I was going to have an equal partner and this was still happening to me, it's probably happening to other women. It sure is. So what? Okay. So now you have your epiphany. You take the pen out of your vagina. Yes. You get back yes, on the road yes, to pick yes, up your son. Yes. And did you go home that night and talk to Seth about? It? I mean, how how did you then decide on this ten year quest to start it? It's funny because I didn't go to talk to Seth. That's the irony, and that's what I found as I went on a five hundred plus interview quest, which I'll tell you about. Um, but I didn't talk to Seth at first, and a lot of women that that was what mirrored what women were saying to me that they don't communicate about domestic life. Right. And that was what was so interesting. When So what happened was I decided to, at first, read every seminal article and book that had ever been written on what I've now found out was called the gender division of labor. It turns out what was happening to me, this that I was the she-fault. You know what I started? Mm-hmm. I called the default, but I, now in the book I call it the she-fault for every single household and domestic task. That's why I was crying on the road. Not obviously over, you know, off-season blueberries <laughs> or because I was expected to be the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. Right. But I realized I was crying because how did I used to be able to manage employee teams? Right. And now I can't even manage a grocery list. Right. And more importantly, what happened? Like, how did I become the default for every single household and childcare task? It just, it was mind boggling. And so when, as you unravel, it turns out that that she fall has a name. Invisible work, second shift that came out of the 90s. Mm-hmm. They called the hourly hawk child called the second shift. Um, the mental load, emotional labor. How much of that is our fault as women? I mean, we at this panel, I said, those of you in the audience that are working moms, how many of you are still the ones that are arranging for the school lunches and the after school play dates and what day you do the centers in your kid's class? And if your kids are older, helping with the college applications. And so many of us raised our hands. Then the next question I asked is, and why is that? Yeah. And so many of us said, because we're really good at it and we want to be in control and we want to do it right. Correct. So a big part of it is ceding that control and saying to your spouse or partner, you do this and you may not do it as well. Our whites may not be as white. <laughs> Maybe you didn't get the blueberries this time. Large curd cottage cheese. It might have somebody who wanted small right. curd. But, but, but it comes home, you get the protein. <laughs> And so there, it is. It's not just the guys are going, well, you do it better, so you should do it. It's also us really needing to see that control a little bit, yes? Absolutely, Laura. I think, and this is really relevant, I think, to your listeners um, all along the spectrum, whether someone's coupling, uncoupling, whatever is happening. 
the crazy thing, and this will come up in family law and what what happens to you, I'm sure, is that over time what I saw, which was so infuriating and interesting to me, was that men, women, and society view men's time as finite and women's time as infinite. And Mm -hmm. I'll explain how that ends up fucking up everything. Because when you do that, when men's time is diamonds and women's time is sand, right? Um, and we, we then what happens is not only does society and men guard their time, and men get obviously paid more for the same hours in the office. We know that men in society, we see that. But what was crazy for me was watching women, women, not value their own time, and it kept coming up similar to what you were just saying in different ways. I had women saying to me things like. I don't ask my husband to pack the lunches because I'm wired differently. I'm a better multitasker. And so what what do you do with that information when I finally went out and interviewed? Well, I went to the top neuroscientists in the world and I asked them, are women better multitaskers than men? Well, the answer is no, a resounding no. And actually this one awesome, older, white, you know, very conservative uh, neuroscientist man, uh, he, he, he had the mic drop moment for me in all the interviews. He sat across from me when I interviewed him in person, and he said to me, um, imagine Eve, because I was saying, you know, are women better suited for domestic work, better multitaskers? He said, well, imagine Eve, you could convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for the other half of the population. Yeah, and it's it was It was literally a mic drop moment. Okay, so let's throw that out, that, <laughs> that argument out. Or flush it down the flush toilet. Flush it down the yeah. damn toilet. What about the other argument that women kept saying, which was, in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. Mm. So what do you do with that? I went to the top behavioral economists in the world, and I asked them about that argument. They said that's a terrible argument for women. Because, of course, you want to convince someone to wipe the asses and do the dishes. Otherwise, you're doing it. Right. Forever and ever and ever. And right. think about all those hours you're now down the drain from wiping asses and doing dishes where you could have been using it to invest in your career, your your hobbies, your passions, your ability to be vibrant, your ability to earn money, to educate yourself. So this is what, and then my favorite was the men and women in, two, in the same job. Right. So I went to two shipping supervisors. I went to two uh, own, co-owners of production companies, you know, all across the realm of socioeconomic status and ethnicity. I mirrored the U.S. Census in my interviews. Mm-hmm. Even in the same damn job, women were saying things to me like, well, my husband gets super overwhelmed and I can just find the time. Right. But Laura, Johnny, mm-hmm. unless we're Albert Einstein and we know how right. to fuck with the space-time continuum, there's no way to find time. No. Right. It's just a time choice issue, how women are expected to use their time. And literally until we throw all those toxic time messages, that's what I call them in the fair play, toxic time messages down the drain, the women will continue to do two-thirds or more, with the, which is still the statistic today in 2020, two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. And then that also means that their economic participation is never going to be what we want it to be if it stays this way. So, okay, you've been mentioning that you'd had these article, uh, interviews. You yes. had 500 interviews. Well, now more. Well, you now, know, yes, yes, but so, yes, 500, yes. So you get home, you, you, you have the blueberry moment, you don't talk to Seth, and you say to yourself, what? How do I, how can I change this? How can I learn about no, this? No, nothing. Nothing. I just am Started interviewing? Pissed. Okay. No, I'm right. just pissed. It's just like most, and you know, you could go down that like 30% statistic, right, of, you know, ending your marriage sure. over, I know, I don't know, I think there is that statistic, right, that women initiate more divorces than men. Yes. Um. So you can go down that road of just like, or other women who told admitted to me that what they did is, and they have that actually, and she said this, not, not sorry, not she said, they have that, I'll start over. 
they have that in Three Women. Right. Um, a story about a woman who is sort of losing her identity and resentful in her marriage, and she goes down the path of finding an ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. on Facebook. And so, you know, you can go down that path well, I was too, thinking right? You could have just immediately veered off that road and found the tight end somewhere. Correct. I mean, that yeah, no, absolutely. My- and I, did, <laughs> well. I went to Michigan. I did date football players and athletes. I could have gone and fi- found sure. them on Facebook, like right. all these women I, were, I was interviewing who were very honest with me. Right. About needing an outlet because of how hard it was. But and you, sort you, of resentful. you loved your husband, though. I do, and, and a lot of those I mean, women love their yes, husbands. Yes, but, but I, I couldn't I think, continue. I think that, that that no, but I just think that yeah. the love is a very important factor. Loved, to keep loved, in mind. loved, yeah. loved, and now love him even yeah. more than ever because we're you know we are living fair play every single day. But it is, it took a long time for me to understand how we were going to sort of get out of right. this rut, this arc. And basically what it started with was a breast cancer march. The breast cancer march is what happened. So I, you know, I'm living with this fucking seething resentment over the blueberries, mm-hmm. not communicating about it, um, sort of still just seething. And then I go on a breast cancer march. I go on this breast cancer march with 10 of my friends. And I think what happened was I was primed for this, primed for looking out for sort of these issues now, these sort of unfair division of labor issues. And we're marching there in, you know, all of our pink sweatpants right. with glitter everywhere for courage, strength, and power, and not just a female problem, all empowered. And then that's until about noon. So we had like three yeah. hours of empowerment. And then the first text came in and it said, you know, where did you put Hudson's soccer bag? And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. literally like a sociological experiment, I started just sort of watching everybody's phone blow up as my friend was re- responding to this text about her, the soccer bag. What's the address of the birthday party? Right. Um, where is our kids' pants? You know, it was just, it was, and it was all from our, uh, the partners that were home. Uh, this other, <laughs> this one guy, of my, uh, a nice, nice man, but you know, my friend's husband, his text said, you know, when are you coming home from the parade? Because <laughs> he was already done. <laughs> when are you coming home from the parade? Yeah. He was done. He right. was done babysitting his children, right? right for three hours. Right. So I started, shit. And then, so my, I had an active resistance like, nobody that day. has blueberries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody. And so, or we're all expected to go get, go, go make those smoothies. But what I saw, my favorite, my favorite text of all of those was my other friend's partner who, who texted her, do the kids need to eat lunch? (laughs) No. It was noon. Yeah. 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 On the, on the parade days, we don't have lunch. We don't have lunch. (laughs) No, we just starve our children until we get home at, you know, and eat, feed them dinner. Eight at five. And it just, I I think it was the, the resistance that day for me was counting up the, the phone calls and the texts we got from the, are the men in our lives and the substitute vaginas that were there to help them, right? Babysitters, nannies, nannies mothers-in-laws, mothers. Third, it was 30, 30 phone calls and 46 texts in 30 minutes for 10 women. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So that was it. That, yeah. I think that was, what, that was my breaking point, saying this is not just a me problem. And since I saw it was happening to other women, that's when I went out there and I really said, I'm going to make – this invisible work, which is one of the, my favorite articles I'd read at the, around the time, uh, visible. Okay. And that was my quest. My quest was, so I called up all those women and then women of women I didn't even know, mm. asking them, what do you do? More than two minutes of quantifiable time. Because I wanted in time. I don't know I don't know what emotional labor means. I just wanted to know about work. Right. What, what takes my time away from me being able to be productive in the workforce, away from my passions, keeping me not interesting, you know, all those things that women have happened to them in midlife. So tell me what you do that takes more than two minutes of your time that maybe your partner doesn't know about. And then everything, the floodgates opened. Floodgates opened, you know, where I I started to track everything on an Excel sheet 
it turned into a 98 tab Excel sheet. I don't know if your listeners like Excel as much as I do. <laughs> nobody nobody sure. likes Excel as much as you do. Nine, Eve. I now, realize that. 98 yes. tabs. I love Excel. 98 tabs. So beautiful. The 98 tab <laughs> color coded spreadsheet was ultimately titled the should I do spreadsheet. And um, what did happened? You know, did you know at this time that you were going to put it all into no. a book or what were, were you no. just doing a study? No, wow. it's a study. Yeah. A study. It, it became sort of my, my passion to understand. And I was really obsessed with I loved gathering. I loved interviewing, I realized. Can you imagine yeah. all the guys, all the husbands? Oh, God, it's Eve again. <laughs> I want to ask about Please this, though. Do are, that. Are, are most of the men, notwithstanding sweet Seth, but do most of the men, either in, in your work or the interviews or the friends, spouses, are most of them like, oh, shit, the jig is up? Or are they... Wow, I didn't realize that. Like, wh what is the male perspective of? I mean, nobody is denying that this is the case. So now what? Now what have they said? I love about you it? just asked that. No one's ever asked me that question. And actually, it's the latter. Um, it is more similar to what you read in the beginning of this podcast, mm -hmm. which is that not knowing what's happening behind the scenes is actually not serving men either. Right. And so what I realized for men was that it wasn't things weren't working for them as well. <laughs> Right. Um, when I would ask them what's going on with you in, in home life, uh, men were very honest, you know, um, some admitting to, you know, sort of wandering eyes and stuff like that, because they're saying to me, you know, my home life is a place where I can't get anything right. Right. Mm. Right. I'm constantly being told. I can't. I can't I'm constantly being told I'm, I do stuff wrong. And it, nowhere else does, does that happen to me. And it doesn't feel good. Sure. To not know what to what to do and to always feel like you're being what they call nagged. Right. But really it was this, you know, sort of chastised for doing things wrong. Mm. Here, what it I made found, me love men. It really course. did. And it I, made I, me love I represent them. probably maybe even more men than women, yeah. believe it or not. You hear about a lot of the women. But what I found so often is when we have kind of custody battles and women say, he can't do any of that mm -hmm. stuff. I am the primary caretaker. I make the lunches. I make the play dates. I put them to bed. I bathe them. I say, but now he's going to yes. do that. Because most men, most dads say, I want to do that. Yes. I want to be equal time. I want to do it. And what I have seen happen with so many men, whether it's of small children or adolescences, they really step up. One, they fucking have to because it's their time. <laughs> but two, they really do blossom again because they have to. And so I'll say to women all the time that are kind of fighting, like, may not have been a good husband still could be a really good father. Yes. And wouldn't that be nice for your kid? Wouldn't it be nice for your kid to have bath days with dad? Wouldn't it be nice for your kid to have dad do some of the school centers or, you know, whatever? And yes, it's good if you're both there or whatever, but isn't, isn't that great for your kid to experience both parents? And so I don't think I people should I just got chills. Have... I hope we can go on the road just with <laughs> I, that, with that like I political mean, stump speech for yeah. both of us. <laughs> and I hope it doesn't, you don't have to get to divorced for this to happen. But on the other end of it, this is what I see all the time, which means. But no, but you do. They are capable of no, doing it. No, but you do. So that's why I call fair play divorce for married people. Right. No, really, because you, we, I kept thinking, how do we create these patterns? Because right. the only happy people with their, with their quote-unquote um, fathers' right. uh, contributions were divorced women I, in my I, interviews. I, I wow. love my exes. They yes. fucking do all kinds of shit for me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. now that they're out of the house. After 500 interviews, I just start, kept writing down on Post-it notes, divorce for married people, divorce for married people, because of this weird pattern 
were, like I said, when when someone was not on the Rosento meter mm-hmm. of like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, sort of where I was sobbing with blueberries, it was because they were divorced. And because they had not only some time back for themselves, which was very freeing, but it was a trust and knowing that it was things were going to get done. Right. In most cases. So does I mean, it work? Some, yes. Does it work? Divorce or married people? Yes. Okay. So it does. now tell us. So you. So uh, and just let me give you a little bit of a plug here because I think we jumped into it because we were excited. But I want people to know that fair play, a game changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. It's Eve's first book. It became a New York Times bestseller in October 2019. It's published by G.P. Putnam's Sons and distributed by Penguin Random House. And it was selected. This is how it got on my radar because Reese Witherspoon and Hello Sunshine Book Club picked it because Reese loved it and thought it was amazing. And I think I can quote Reese here where she says, she didn't say it to me, Johnny pulled the quote. <laughs> she wasn't like texting me. No, she's a, texting me. A, a hands-on <laughs> real talk guide for navigating the hot button issues that so many families struggle with. And Reese shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition, but still, back to Eve. Okay, so. Ever the grammar with the, teacher. <laughs> you started with the should I do list. Yeah. So and sh- your tabs. Should, and- I, should I do list was very, 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 very resonant with women. And what started happening, which was interesting, was that it sort of went viral in an interesting way. So women I didn't even know found it. You know, I guess it was forwarded to them, email forwarded by friends. And so I started getting phone calls and texts from people like, well, I don't see um, sunscreen on your 98 tab spreadsheet. And I wanted to add sunscreen, you know, application of sunscreen. And then I'd have to text back saying, well, you just didn't know how to use Excel then because you have to scroll to the right. Like it's go to, there. Yeah, There's go, a tab Go for to that. tab 79. If you look at under ta- 79, says medical and healthy living. And if you scroll down to item 18, it says application of sunscreen. You know, it was that. Or, right. you know, you forgot allowance. I said, now actually allowance is in there. It's under family values and traditions because why else are you giving allowance unless you're showing a family value? So it was very, very granular. Right. And, and then... It sort of goes out wide. And so that's the first, and I love that type of feedback. But the feedback I did not love mm. was when I started to get texts and phone calls from women saying, what the fuck? I'm doing it all. Um, and another woman left me a message, I mean, you can't make this shit up, um, saying, you know, I just want to let you know I received your spreadsheet. I reviewed it. Um, and uh, I'm not going to stay in my marriage. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> Go to It's Over Easy. My pleasure. Yeah. I was like, exactly. I, will, I will refer you to my very close yeah. friend who can help you. She's in Arizona. This woman, she called me from Arizona. We're so. national. Oh, you are? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? So next time an Arizonian uh, reaches out again, I will refer them to you. Um, and so, yeah, it was good to know you're national. Um, I have a lot of friends in New York right now who could use you. Yeah. So should I do list sort of unleash the shit storm, mm-hmm. uh, a rant without a solution. And then I sort of realized that that was exactly what had been written for the past hundred years. Right. These rants without a solution. And so I said, you know what, this is, and I think how I really realized that it was a real rant without a solution was because I, you know, I used my amazing uh, legal communication skills and basically sent off the shit I do spreadsheet to Seth, the 10,000 million megabyte spreadsheet with just a subject line that said, can't wait to discuss. Oh, dear. So you can imagine yeah. his response, right? I got that. <laughs> I talked about the book. Four days. <laughs> <laughs> I just got that, you know, that sad, lonely monkey covering its eyes, oh. that monkey emoji, right. the see no evil monkey. Not even like the three monkey trio, <laughs> just like that just sad, him. just the that one sad one lonely covering eyes emoji. But so we write, there's like see no evil in my house and other houses. There's a, 
I'm not staying in my marriage. Like right. this, this, it, w- it was not productive. Right. And that's when I realized like, okay, I can either resign myself to just keep doing it all because I'll just add my, should I do lists to the hundred years of literature on, um, you know, ranting or I can become my own client. And that's what I decided to do. I decided to become my own client. Okay. And my day job is to work again. We said this before, sort of like the, uh, you just have to picture the HBO show Succession. Thank God for that show because it was really hard for me to explain, <laughs> explain what, what it feels <laughs> to be like a family advisor to high net worth families and their business and philanthropy. No one, eyes would roll out of their head. No one understood it. But now I just have to say, picture the HBO show Succession and you could sort of understand who I work for. Right. You can feel bad for me sometimes, <laughs> like you. You know, it's hard to be in client service. Yes. Um, but what I do is I create family systems for very complex families. And I do that through organizational management, through under, through treating the home, the family is the most important organization. So I kept saying, why Why are we not as a society treating the home as our most important organization? Why are we all just figuring things out on the fly? Right. Is that helpful to be arguing, micro-arguing over who's taking the kids to school an hour before school starts? Right. Or who's making the lunch the night before school starts? No. no yeah. it's, just, it's just, you know, you don't walk into your boss's office and say, I mean, what if you did that this morning, John? You said, hey, Laura, what should we be talking about on the podcast today? It wouldn't go over well. I don't think it would go no. over well. No, I, Johnny, how... Johnny lives in fear of me the way most, exactly. the way most, most men live in fear of their wives. <laughs> but I will say, like, Johnny, you know, this is amazing. He, you know, that you were so prepped in this beautiful, like, dossier. Well, I mean, thank you. But that's how, that's how we should be in our home. We should take treat it with some respect and rigor, with some thought. I agree. Cut to Johnny and Michael's house, and there's dishes <laughs> in the sink but and I got flies a great flying around. I don't know, but, and, right? But you no. know it, and but that's the thing: you treat your home like your most important organization. Yes. Everything changes when you realize that the home deserves some respect and rigor. Things change, and that's really what fair play is about. Fair play is not about fifty-fifty. It's not about this stupid notion, this weird equation. I don't even know what it means. I'd ask people, "Do you do fifty-fifty in your home?" People didn't. You know, I have no idea how to measure that. I bet all the men were like, "Yes,", yes. and all the women were like, "No." Correct, yeah. correct. Yes. And there's actually a of lot of we do. There's a lot of actual science on over men over reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I realized when I went back to the science was I saw all this cool research around perceived fairness mm-hmm. and how perceived fairness can actually be a more important indicator than actual fairness. Because what does actual fairness even mean? So what when you start treating the home as your most important organization you apply organizational management principles and those are principles of ownership Hmm. so here's what i mean what i mean is that apple for example they coined a term called the dri the directly responsible individual when you hold a task you hold it from conception planning to overseeing the execution Mm -hmm. you yes of course you can bring people in but ultimately it's the buck stops here with you Uh, netflix calls it the rare responsible person Like, don't bother working here if you have to wait to be told what to do. Pick up the trash from the floor. Own your shit. We'll give you context, but not control. So what happens if you bring that to the home? Well, what happens is the exact opposite of what's happening now. So this is what I found in my research. So I I went in with a lens of organizational management to see if anybody was really using that. Nope. So what happens now is that someone has to know that your second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard with his hot dog. Or other, or his protein. Otherwise, he chokes on protein. Right. So that in the business world is sort of what we call the conception stage. Mm. And then someone has to notice it's running low and put it on a, a, a grocery list with your things for the week. Right. right. Your other groceries. I'm surprised for the week. you didn't get French's yellow mustard. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? So it's the it's the planning, right? right. You put French's yellow mustard on your on your grocery list. That's the planning stage. And then there's the execution stage, which is 
another stage in organizational management. And that's where men were stepping in. They were stepping in and they were bringing home spicy Dijon. Right. Like what Laura was just saying. They bring home spicy Dijon with the gross seeds. And then women are pissed. Um, yeah. And men are saying all over this country, I can't do anything right. Back right. to where we started. Right. And you're like, dumbass. Of course you can't do anything <laughs> right. Because he doesn't like that kind. He likes yeah, the like, French. Yeah. And, and yeah. you've been sitting with us right. at dinner for 10 years. Right. And I'm out of this fucking and you marriage. don't love us. And you don't love us. You don't love us. And I'm your smoothie buyer. And <laughs> I'm out of this marriage for my NFL tight end. I'm Laura Wasser, and you're listening to the All's Fair podcast, where nothing is off limits. I've never been certain we humans are meant for monogamy, but if you've decided to give it a try, please keep listening. Today's show is about the secret to successful marriage. My guest today is New York Times bestselling author Eve Rodsky. Her book is called Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. So Eve... We were talking before about your cards. So you started to come up with some of these cards that would do what? So what I realized was that in my 10 years of practice with the men that look like the HBO succession guy was that when you ask someone, are you going to die or very complex, difficult questions or what do you want to do when you die with your succession? You know, a lot of men would say or women, I'm not going to die. <laughs> or, the, you know, the conversation just sort of clams up. But what I realized about a decade ago was there was something really beautiful about using cards. Mm-hmm. What is picture your legacy? What does it look like? Does it look like an ocean? So did you do that in I your, did. In your I did. In my mediation, job? In my okay. mediation practice, I've been using cards to open up difficult conversations for a decade. Wow. Okay. And so I figured, what if we sort of turn the using organizational management principles, becoming my own client? What if we do these exercises in the home? And then so I basically turned the shit I do spreadsheet into a card game where each card of the Fair Play system, it's a figurative card game, but you can also download the cards at fairplaylife.com, actual cards to play. Every card represents a task. And when you hold that card of the 100 cards, you're going to hold it, as we said before, with the full ownership, with the full conception, planning, and execution. And when you do that, you don't bring home Spicy Dijon anymore. Right. The beauty of what was happening to men and women Mm -hmm. was that men were bringing home French's yellow. They were bringing home the right type of mustard because they had the context for what what, what they were doing. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or they had a picture of it. This is what she needs. Lots of different, uh, (laughs) lots of different, yeah, visual aids. (laughs) But what was the beauty of it, and what, and that's what happened to me. I think I always say, I don't know if your listeners are too young, but there used to be this. I'm not just the hair club president. I'm no, the right, first client. Right, right. And yes. that dude, that weirdo <laughs> who held up his head and his bald head. But that's so Seth and I were players, you know, beta testers, number one. And that was the beauty. The beauty was when he really thought, he thought, and this is exactly what I love about your opening article the idea of invisible work and what happens when you don't understand the full task without the context. Seth really truly thought that he was handling mm-hmm. extracurricular sports for my sons. By showing up to the Little League field. Right. By sitting there and, you know, and cheering them on and getting them there on a Saturday morning. But when I explained to him that the conception was who are they playing with, what sports they want to play, surveying their friends about which league they should be part of, and then the planning. Plus the of, uniforms. And oh, like yeah. Everything. everything. Making signing sure they up. got with the right friend. Carpool, carpool coordination, right. um, snack mom, a coach's gift. It oh, was. God, just don't yeah, have kids. Yeah, okay? exactly. <laughs> it was mind-numbing for him. He <gasps> said, I had no idea that this is what went into getting to the right. Little League field. But when I said, you know what, I'm not, again, not asking for 50-50. 
I am just asking for ownership of this one task. Let's start here with extracurricular sports, where I literally would never have to think about sports again. And that was transformative because what I realized over time is that about that's about eight hours of my week mm-hmm. from carpooling them to sports, from same thing, picking out their uniform, returning their cleats when it didn't fit on Amazon, all the things that went into getting them to that field is about eight hours of my week because uh, my sons are in very competitive um, sports leagues. So that's been a beautiful uh, abdication of the mental load for me. So does he, now he has that card? He yeah, has he, the... well, he has all the cards now, <laughs> really, okay. to be honest. Right. He's, he went from two. Right. So of the hundred mm-hmm. in the fair play deck, he was holding when we started this quote unquote game, you know, the side of the blueberries, the the crying day of the blueberries um, he started with Money Manager, which is a very patriarchal card. So I don't yeah. even want men to hold that card. We'll talk about yeah, I'm sure we could talk later about why women should be holding the Money Manager yes. card. He was holding Money Manager and Fun and Playing. Fun and Fun Playing? Fun and Playing. That's okay. a card. Yeah. Hmm. That was it, too, yeah. out of the hundred that are eligible for your deck. And now I'd say he's probably, when I'm on tour, he's holding them all. Right. And when I come back, he's still holding about 35 mm-hmm. Our decks about and as you cards. said, it doesn't need to be fifty to no, each of you. It's never. Total, and you can sometimes trade if you're away for a weekend. You can give him, you know. That's okay. the key. The key is redealing every week. Everybody has to know how to do all of the cards. Exactly. Okay. And all, you have to know how to do all the cards. Doesn't mean like like you said. It may not mean that someone will do them as well. So you may want to hold a card forever. Like I will mm-hmm. always hold VIP gifts. Okay. Because I'm just too afraid of what. <laughs> so, one time he tried to do that and you know, he brought champagne to my conservative clients, 18, yeah, his son turned 18 from college graduation. I'm like, well, technically this is right. America. Illegal. Yeah, right. it's illegal. And like, they're very conservative. And I'm, you know, uh, let me, not, no, I, don't, let's not bring out champagne to an 18 year old anymore. No, I agree. But <laughs> uh, let me ask you another question. So, in your research, um, did you find that men were willing to take the cards? Yes. Interesting. I did. Yeah. I would want, I wonder if there are a lot of guys out there in the audience who just want the their partner, whether it's a, their wife or their husband, to just do the stuff at home or well what yeah what does happen in families that are not dual income or even if they're dual income but one party is really like part-time and the other party is full-time and really the breadwinner does that i mean is that a card did they get some extra credit for that have you had people men or women say homie don't play that because homie's at work every day bringing in the income and that's why he or she is picking up the blueberries and returning the cleats and whatever else Yes. Um, actually, that was one of the most common toxic time messages was mm-hmm. that time is money. Right. And a lot of men did say, well, why would I do dishes? I make her life. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd say, well, she's actually making your life. Right. You know, you have an unencumbered mind. You get to go to work and have these weird New York Times articles about your morning routine where you get to be on the fucking Peloton at 5 a.m. Right. Because someone else is packing lunches for your kids and transporting them to school. And you get to, like, have a nice holiday card with beautiful four kids, you know, carefully wrapped gifts for all your relatives she makes your life. Mm-hmm. But we just, we equate so much with time is money in this yeah. culture, which is really unfortunate. And what I think the ultimate goal of this book, um, besides getting, uh, you know, more balance for women, is this idea of care, the value of care. And this is why I think I, Fair Play became a love letter to men, because they do value care when we think about it in those terms. So when I would say, do you believe an hour holding your child's hand in the pediatrician's office? is as valuable to society as an hour in the boardroom? A lot of the answer was no, Mm -hmm. to be honest. A a lot of people were willing to say no to me uh, alone, probably not in focus groups. They would (laughs) say yes. 
But what started happening as men started holding cards was that started changing. Men who maybe started with more of those, uh, I'm the CEO outside the home, my wife's the CEO in the home, like throw up, you know, sort of traditional gender role comments. As they played over the past three years, I've been watching beta testers have changed. And I have this one really, this is not in the book, but it's a beautiful quick story about Ed, one of my favorite men that I love to talk about now, um, who unfortunately his story didn't get in because the manuscript had to be delivered too early. But he was playing with his wife, fair play, early beta tester at the end of last Christmas. She basically called me up. She was a friend of a friend and I'd interviewed her and she said, I understand this ownership thing and I want to do this. Typically, you know, I'm at my breaking point around the holidays. I can't hold anything else. My mother just entered the hospital for a neurodegenerative disease. I have to take the kids to school. I'm packing for their travel for the holidays. Um, I can't, I just, I'm losing it. And I want Ed to help. And I said, well, it's a terrible time to enter anybody into the fair play system around the holidays. Terrible. I said, you know, you want to do an emotion is low yeah. and cognition is high right spring so, or the summer yeah, or yeah. when you're on a vacation <laughs> yeah. in vegas i have a lot of men texting me on instagram these are not the cards i thought i'd be playing in vegas you know someplace <laughs> really fun but so she said but okay i'm done so what was breaking her i finally you know sort of got out of her what was breaking her was her second son brody's second grade secret santa project that's a tongue twister. We want to say that. <laughs> I wonder it was breaking up. It was, and because, you know, schools do that to us, right. right? You have to get costumes or do things from scratch. I mean, it's really unfair again, but that's what was happening. She wanted it. And she said, typically, I would give Ed a list of what he would need to do the Secret Santa project. But you're telling me not to do that. You're telling me to give ownership. And this is a primary, this is back to your question about this is a primary breadwinner mostly situation. This is a very highly successful CEO. Um, and yeah, so I said, yeah, I do want to get, I want him to take ownership of one card. You hold, yes, you hold them all. I understand your situation, but just one. You're, you're at your breaking point. You can't hold all these cards. You're, you're the one telling me that. This is what this woman is saying to me. So she says to me, okay, I'll try to give ownership of the homework card for one project to my husband, Ed. But she said to me, more importantly, that she wouldn't even know how to do that. Mm. I think that was the sad part. Right. The sad part to me was no one should be holding all the cards. Even if you are in that situation where you are a stay-at-home mom and you have a very busy CEO, there is value for Ed. So this is what happens. What happens is she decides to listen to me. And I say to her, instead of telling Ed why he can't do it, while he's going to do a sock puppet, why it's going to suck, why he's going to forget, all those things that you're telling me you're worried about, just tell him why it matters to you. And so she tells me it matters to her because her son, this girl he picked from the Secret Santa, was a little girl that had no friends in school. She had just come to the school in second grade, and the mom watches her sort of walk aimlessly around the class. And how nice would it be if her popular, cute second grader was giving this girl like a welcome gift, something really lovely and nice to say, like, you're welcome at the school. And also that it's about the school cares about no semblance of materialism that a, a gift from a friend that's homemade should be as excited to unwrap as a hundred dollar nerf gun so i said just say that to ed say that to him because ultimately fair play is about having new conversations about the home mm. and it's about what is your why and this is why it also works for you know co-parents we'll talk about sort of the thing i'm doing around co-parenting but what is your why is so important, the values behind it. So she does tell that to Ed. Oh, God, and I, Ed didn't fuck it up, did he? Well, no, that's oh, the beauty. Ed, he, he, what he did was he told me he began, we, I checked in with him after the holidays, and thank God I did, because I almost forgot to, but he, Ed tells me he began Googling Secret Santa projects for little girls with his Amazing. son Brody. So I was like, okay, that's awesome, on YouTube. Mm. 
They decide on a popsicle stick jewelry box. That's the conception. Then he writes down everything that he needs with Brody for to do the project. It was colored popsicle sticks, glitter, glue. He told me that Brody wanted to have a knob. This is how granular Ed, Mr. Like, I don't do anything, CEO outside the home, is telling me his son needed a knob because he, the little girl didn't want to have to, he didn't, Brody didn't want the little girl to need two hands to open her jewelry box. Right. He wanted her to be able to put, take her jewelry out so and open it and with one hand. So they got a, they needed a knob. Yeah. That's planning. Right. And then Ed said to me, he found this really cool store called Michael's. And, uh, <laughs> which like, every mom already, like, yeah, yeah it's like, it's so about. cool. I'm yeah. like, it's not that hard because you just yeah. can get everything at one place. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really cool store. I'll check it out. <laughs> um, and so he starts building the jewelry box, building it. And what my friend said to me at the time was that her life changed. Wow. And it was such a powerful statement because I was like, that's, you're not hyperbolic. Why? And for her, it was because she said, she finally saw Ed with glitter on his hands. Mm -hmm. And she said it felt like the first time he was really in it with her. Now, what would have happened if she deprived him of that? Back to like what we do, right? right. Just giving him a list without giving him that chance. That's what Fair Play is about. Let's mm -hmm. give men the chance and to, to build those jewelry boxes. And how great Brody to see his dad with glitter on his hands. Yes. It's really about that generation. And this is something that I don't, I haven't ever really said about Ed, the other thing I thought about was that he told me offhandedly, because it wasn't really part of the story, that Brody cried in the car with him. And I haven't followed up with Ed. I need to understand why he told me that. But I'm going to assume he told me that because it was a unique occurrence that Brody right. doesn't always cry. And he was crying because his grandma was sick. Right. Mm -hmm. I guess he was really close to that grandma that had entered the hospital. Why this whole thing, the breaking point for my friend. Right. And so for Ed to have an experience where his son was willing to open up and cry to him, where he was willing to have glitter on his hands, had that, and this was find just from Michaels. one, find <laughs> Michaels to understand that there is value in that. What happens when men understand that there's value in building, building jewelry boxes? Does Ed, who's a CEO, now let people leave a little early to do the Secret Santa project? Does he think about pay parity because maybe women aren't paid the same because they are doing the popsicle stick jewelry boxes with their kids? Mm -hmm. What is the reverberation when we care about care? It's, that, I'm I, sure, yeah. quite quite uh, impactful, and I think that that's the beautiful way to put it, it, it how it reverberates yes. through society. So tell us a little bit, because obviously this is interesting to me. I certainly would like to keep people together, but to the extent that they're together or apart, let's talk a little bit about what you've learned, Eve, about co-parenting and sharing those kind of responsibilities. I'm in a co-parent. I'm in your world right now, Laura. I'm so excited. Um, I'm I'm doing a, a special audio book in 2020 for co-parents because I've been obsessed with watching Fair Play work in co-parenting situations. And this is what I found. What I found is back to what Julie said to Ed about why she cared about the jewelry box. That is everything for co-parenting because it's about values. Mm -hmm. And what I see is a lot of times what happened in the end of relationships, I'm sure you see this too, is that there's different things happening in different homes because the cards are valued differently. So I have situations where I've been watching people play where they're like, oh, I, I fucking hate my ex because homework is not done in his house. And that's why I want custody on Mondays and Tuesdays because I need those homework packs early because mm -hmm. if, if he takes uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, these are, you know, actual quotes from people. Right, if he right. takes, I, how would I, you know, there's, I guess, this new custody arrangement. You can do Mondays, Tuesdays. Wednesdays, Thursdays, right? And either weekend. So a lot of women are telling me they want Mondays and Tuesdays to finish the homework pack. And then men are saying, well, you know, C students, sorry, A students work for C students. Like, what's the big deal? And then women are saying, I care about homework, right? So it's these, when you value homework very differently, the granular stuff, 
that's not great. Right. Or when you value nutrition and meals. So in one household, they're getting their green juice smoothie and grains. In the other house, they're getting McDonald's. Right. Or teeth brushing. Teeth brushing. I have tons of Dental. moms say to me, they don't brush their teeth in his house. And I say, you know what? That's it's not okay. great, yeah, but, but it's still okay. They should still spend time with that. Correct. And, and actually, there's a lot of men. Men are saying to me. So men are the ones who are saying to me that in the in their wife, their ex-wives' house, that the kids are going to bed too late. Right. Maybe because they want more leisure right. time. Whatever. Okay. On, but on I their love phones. It. Or I love whatever. it. But you that, have to you know, get on the same. That's page. right. Yeah. So it's getting on the same page is, is about having values mm-hmm. conversations. So when you can sit down and talk to someone about why you value garbage. Why, you know, why you, when you see garbage spilling out over their house, why that matters to you. Like I did for Seth when I said to him, I grew up in a single mom household where we didn't have a garbage can. And so what that meant was cockroaches and water bugs everywhere. And you couldn't go into the kitchen after night. That's why I care about garbage. If you can be vulnerable enough and with your co-parent, say why you value things. I'm seeing fair play work really, really well. But it requires different conversations about the home. It requires you sitting down for probably the first time ever, and saying, here's why I value homework. Right. Because I grew up in an Irish family. This is one of one of the mm-hmm. beta testers. I grew up in an Irish family of we're nine kids. And for us, education was everything. It was how we were going to get out of our, our situation. And I didn't I wanted to be the first kid in my my family to go to college. And when I see my, my partner who grew up super privileged and not giving a shit about homework devaluing it, he, it makes me feel like you know, everybody's discounting right. the hard work it takes to get out of poverty. I mean, these are important conversations, but you can Absolutely. say it to your co-parents and you say, this is why, this is breaking me when my kids are not getting their homework done. I'm finding now in my little beta testing group that their other person is more willing to listen. Absolutely. And I say to people all the time, if you can communicate better as co-parents than you did as spouses and sometimes they can because again the resentment meter goes off and you're now in a separate situation and you say this is why this really matters to me and we share a child or children can we do this if you're able to have those conversations he or she may be able to hear you better and actually go okay I got that and if it's important to you it may not be as important to me but if it's important to you I can make that happen. Yeah, or at least in Fair Play Talks, I talk a lot about a minimum standard of care. Maybe it won't be the same standard, but what is your minimum? Right. Minimum is, okay, may, you didn't want to supervise it, that's fine. But homework's in the backpack, right. and you see that something's been written on the right. page. Right. Or that it's signed. I had one woman say that the, the only thing she was asking for her partner was, I guess, her every that school required a parent signature on every on every page. Right. And she just said it felt so like a punch in the stomach when he couldn't, couldn't even, even sign, sign the homework. Yet. Yeah. I could talk about relationships forever. In fact, we will be all season. But today, before you go, Eve, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Okay, so these are the all's fair interrogatories. Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact? I'd say my my rainbow story from the sort of the, the clouds of, of Seth Rodsky all the way to the way we live today, which is he is my most valuable ally and the most important person in my life. Yes, my husband. What is your favorite love song? I'm a stickler for breakup songs. I'd have to say Lover Lay Down by Dave Matthews. Nice. I love Dave Matthews. I get so much shit for liking Dave Matthews. Oh my God. Lover Lay Down is one of the best love love songs of all time. What is the one piece of advice you'd share with either your 20-something-year-old self or someone following in your footsteps? Don't do it like I did. Don't wait to wake up in your midlife, a grayer version of yourself, not knowing where identity is, uh, losing your career, 
have those conversations. Understand that may, there may be value in organizing your junk drawer, but the life-changing magic is in long-term thinking for women. Oh, that's a good one. All right, Eve's not doing so bad at 42. Oh, really. oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and which romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Oh, I do. I, I watch When Harry Met Sally on repeat every single Christmas over and over again on my iPad. The best. <laughs> Eve, thank you for joining us today on All's Fair. Where can people find your book, the cards, Stay Connected, et cetera? Tell us. Everywhere. Um, you can find everything on fairplaylife.com or at Fairplay uh, Instagram handle. Okay. And you can buy the book on penguinrandomhouse.com, Amazon Yes, yes. As well. Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, everywhere books. And independent bookstores, because I always love to shout out independent bookstores because they are the best and yeah, we the need best. them. And yes. Hello Sunshine. Yes, and on the and I have a lot of articles that I write for Hello Sunshine, so you could always find me on that website too, hellosunshine.com. Cool. Just search Eve Brodsky. Yes, yeah. yes. Eve, thank you for joining us. We will look forward to having you back when you have either Fair Play 2 or Fair Play co-parenting or whatever yes. we're going to call it because I, I do not believe that you are at the end of this trajectory by any means. Well, thank you. Thank you for being an early supporter of the Fair Play messages. You guys are amazing. Really, this has been a really, really fun day for Yay. me. Totally. <laughs> thank you. You have Excellent. a very sexy voice, Laura. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Wasn't that great? I yeah. mean, she's amazing. I love her. And she's a great talker as well. And she is. I like listening to her. Yeah. And I think this is actually catching on. I mean, people are listening. It's working. I like hearing what she had to say about the beta testing. I mean, look, I hope it works. Yeah. I really do. You know, there was an article that you sent me that I, I wanted to just, it's interesting. The card thing aside, one of these authors is also pointing out that you got to um, wait. Let me actually pull up the article. Hold was on. this? It was the, for me. My grandfather gave me the best advice. He said, "This is from Reddit." He said, "Choose two things to do around the house that she never would ask you to do. Do the best job you can do and take pride in it, but never draw attention to or complain about it. Just do it and expect nothing in return." I cook dinner and do the dishes and clean up cooking messes. It took my wife almost a year to notice. When she did, however, I would find my laundry was magically done on its own, folded and put away. When I told her she doesn't have to do my laundry, she stated, you always cook and clean for me. I figured it's the least I could do. Absolutely. How did she not notice he was cooking dinner for a year? Well, how did you think question. the dinner was getting there? <laughs> Magic. But it's an interesting point. And if yeah. his grandfather told him that, I mean, this is not new it's just that i think that you do you get caught up in life right. and you don't you know and when you come home it's kind of you can just be Absolutely. you and if you actually treat it a little bit more like a job yeah. like where you do or your workplace is then you bring that kind of respect to it and you may have a better home life absolutely and as i said to eve like i see this all the time i see people coming in it doesn't even necessarily matter what the socioeconomic circumstances are it's usually the husband but not always has no idea right. that she's so frustrated that he's not doing anything because he really thinks, like, he's like, what? I stay with the kids every Saturday when she goes to get a massage for an hour. You remember that that book, um, Women Are From Venus, Men Are From Mars? Do you think it's something to do with the way men and women are wired? I, no, I don't. And I think she said it didn't. I think what it has to do with is just the way our culture has right. kind of focused over the years and that's how we just kind of were raised to think well it's 2020 now people are are it's time to change time to refocus exactly get some clarity bitches. absolutely 2020 vision anyway yes. thanks for listening to the all's fair <laughs> podcast everyone we're exploring all types of relationships this season but we can't do it without you so tell us what you'd like to hear in the review section at itunes or send us your questions on social at it's over easy let's chat more next tuesday <laughs> <laughs>